Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Okay, so this is the this is like the revelation of Jesus. Yeah, this is what it is. This is the new covenant. This is it. The ministry of righteousness, the the radiance of God in Jesus Christ. So this is what God looks like, Jesus. Mm. Everything Jesus did, everything he was about, the way that he saved us, the way that he took the old and made it new, the way that he brought about his kingdom, like this is the radiance of God's glory. Welcome to another episode of River Life's Bible Streams podcast. This is a podcast uh, where we're going to take a deeper and more thorough look at Scripture and how that might apply to how we live out the calling that God has on our lives. My name's Joe. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at River Life Baptist Church and one of the hosts of this podcast. And I am joined, as I regularly am, by my co-host, oh, Scott. Yeah. Very regularly. Very yes. regular. Hello. How's it going? We are like clockwork. Um, I'm going real well. It's good to be back. Today we are just having a, a, a one-off episode. Yeah. We're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture that we've um, been focusing on as part of our vision launch for the year yeah. here at River Life. And uh, it's something that's kind of near and dear to our hearts as a leadership team, but we feel like is kind of God's word for us in this season and for what He's put in front of us. So uh, it's going to be a fun time just exploring this passage and a few different concepts of Scripture. And uh, we're going to dig in and see where that takes us. So for today's episode, uh, we're going to look at this theme of unveiled. Uh, Yeah, so this is kind of the theme that we feel like uh, God's calling us towards this year in 2019. But if that doesn't really, you know, do anything for you, if you don't think of anything as soon as, you know, that word is said, then we're going to hopefully by the end of the episode, give you some bit of a background, bit of a yeah, way of exploring this word unveiled and what it means to us and why we would choose it. Um, and there is so much, like mm. there's so much richness uh, and, and I guess, you know, depth to this word unveiled. It's not just about the passage. We're going to kind of look at this, this episode. Uh, we're going to focus on... Uh, possibly just one chapter in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, but we're going to go in and out of various different kind of themes and and passages all throughout Scripture. Mm, We are. So I suppose a good spot to start would be let's uh, let's just jump into that passage and, uh, and hear it. Cool. Awesome. All right. So sit back and relax and try and listen in to this whole chapter. I'm going to read the whole chunk and then we're going to go back and kind of discuss some things. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? 
You yourselves are our letters of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ Jesus towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory? Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Man, that was, that was intense. <laughs> There's so, much, so many things in there. <laughs> there is quite a lot. Where are we going to begin? So probably a bit of background is always good when we jump into a, yeah. a, a chapter in the middle of a book like this or a middle of a letter. So Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. This is the second letter we have, which is potentially the fourth letter he wrote. Uh, if you go back to our Bible overview, we can't yeah. touch on that. Um, but Paul's writing into the context of probably some people of Jewish background who are trying to kind of usurp his apostleship and trying to undermine his authority and trying to kind of pass themselves off as people who are more credible than him. Uh, back in chapter two, he's like, kind of like, we're not just peddlers of God's word. We're actually sincere commissioned yeah. apostles of God coming to share with you the reality of who he is and this new way of doing things. So it seems that regularly Paul's coming up against these people who are trying to introduce old Jewish ways into this new Christian way. And Paul's got a, a lot to say about that. Yeah. Um, as I was reading some background on this, you know, um, this chapter probably is one of the highest points of Paul's writings, full stop. 
Wow. Um, Gordon Fee suggests that like this is like the pinnacle, like it's a soaring height of what Paul's trying to outline here. This is like one of his key spirit passages. Yeah. It's one of his key kind of new covenant, new interaction with God, which we'll get to in a tick, kind of this is how we relate to who God is now. Uh, not that he's changed, but the way that he's interacted with yeah. humanity has shifted. Uh, and it talks a lot about that. And so we get a lot of pictures and a lot of metaphors, but also a lot of references to like the whole Bible, like particularly the Old Testament yeah. and the, the Torah as, as it's kind of described, those first five books of the Old Testament. So the Torah is what we'll get to later, but when it says... When Moses is read, yeah, that's so referring to the it's, Torah. It's that great. There's a great idea, a literary term, a synecdoche. Synecdoche. So you use like a, a a small part of something to describe the whole, or the whole of something to describe the small. So like we talk about, you know, when Moses is read, when he's saying, you know, actually talking about the whole books of the law right. or the Torah. Yeah, it's the same way that we'd say like Australia played cricket yesterday. Uh-huh. It's like well, like no, we didn't, didn't have like twenty something million people yes. all jump on a pitch and play. Yeah, a small group of people played on behalf of Australia. Yep. So that's like a literary technique which we use. But the other, but it also could be referring to the law itself. Yeah. So when it says when Moses is ready, saying the books of Moses, yep. which is traditionally thought of as the books of the law, yep. which is the Pentateuch or the the Hebrew word is Torah, and that outlined the old way of living, the the old covenant, as we would say. Yes, yeah, so I think probably the, the first big thing to get our heads around as we approach this this chapter in this passage is this idea of the, the two different covenants, the old and the new covenant. Yeah. Um, we tend to translate that word as testament. Yeah. So an easy way of kind of thinking about it is the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the old covenant and the new covenant. But what Paul's really, I think, getting at is it's the old way of being in relationship with God and the new way of being in relationship with God, which uh, as we've talked about in some of our previous episodes, but if this is your first one, we'll pick it up again. There's this idea that between the old and the new, there's a certain amount of continuation or continuity. There's yep. things that stay the same. So God doesn't change between the old and the new Testament, the old and the new covenant, but there's some discontinuity. There's some things that, about the way that we interact with God and the way that he wants to interact with us, which seem to have shifted. So what stood in the old doesn't stand in the new in some ways, but other things do. And in, in many ways, the old is then setting up the new. Yeah. So um, we're going to throw a link in these show notes to uh, Pastor John's sermon from Sunday because he does outline a few of these things. But, um, you know, there's a there's a kind of a sense that what we see in the books of, of Moses, particularly in the book of Exodus, but also drawing on Genesis and then right through into the law codes in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, uh, God's setting up the context for what Jesus is going to do when he comes and brings this new covenant. It, you know, kind of Jesus even implies that people shouldn't be surprised that this is happening. He kind of yeah. says, if you were paying attention, you'd know the signs of the times, you'd yeah. know what God was doing. It shouldn't be a surprise. You know, even when, he's, when Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, saying, if you'd only known the hour of your visitation, you wouldn't, you know, this, the prophets knew this was happening. So none of this was a surprise, really but people had forgotten and missed the point of what God was trying to do. Hmm. And so Paul's now in this point kind of resetting the expectation of what was happening in Jesus when he came and made a new way. And he's kind of contrasting and comparing the old and the new way and saying, well, look, there was a way that did happen before and people are trying to convince us to go back to that, but that's not what God's doing now.
So I think Paul kind of kicks it off with this kind of this imagery of um, ink and writing. And he's talking about tablets of stone and tablets on hearts. So he's talking about this kind of ancient writing style. So uh, as the story goes, when we get to the the book of Exodus, um, as God wants to interact with his people, as God is kind of drawing them out of Egypt, out of captivity, out of being slaves, uh, under slave drivers, he's resetting their normal. And uh, that's where we get this idea of the Ten Commandments. Yep. So when Paul talks about tablets of stone, he's really playing on this imagery of when Moses went up Mount Sinai, God calls him up Mount Sinai in Exodus. And most of the book of Exodus happens at the foot of Mount Sinai, where God is telling Moses about what's going to happen here. So there's the dramatic start where the people are delivered from captivity in Egypt and we get Moses' backstory. But the majority of what happens in Exodus is all at the foot of Mount Sinai with the people at the bottom and Moses ascending the hill where there's all sorts of lightning and clouds and God speaking in thunderous voices and everyone freaking out and golden calves and disobedience and smashing of stone tablets and all this stuff. Paul's kind of using these stone tablets as the picture of that old covenant, that moment where God and Moses interacted for 40 days on top of a mountain where God said, hey, look, I'm going to set the parameters of what this relationship is going to look like. Some people talk about it like a wedding covenant, which it does have a lot of aspects of a wedding contract and covenant, and that plays really nicely into kind of what we talked about in the book of Ephesians. that's right, yeah. Uh, It's also kind of reminiscent of um, a particular kind of um, political contract in the ancient Near East, which kind of set up the, the relationship between a powerful entity and a weaker entity and how they would look after each other and how they would kind of live in relationship when there was a power differential and there was different priorities and different needs. And so it's got aspects of that too. Uh, But really what Paul's trying to say is there was this old way and it was written on tablets of stone and there's this new way and it's not written on stone tablets. It's actually written not in ink, but by the spirit on human hearts. That's right. Yeah. And it shouldn't be a surprise to those faithful Jewish people yeah. whom Paul was one of uh, because in Jeremiah 31, it pretty well spells it out. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul was just kind of grabbing that terminology yeah. and putting a, a Jesus kind of filter on it, you know. like Well, kind of a fulfillment. Yeah, almost. fulfillment, yeah. yeah. And so it says this in Jeremiah 31, it says, uh, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, Well, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And later on it says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them. Hmm. I will write it on their hearts. Yeah. I will be their God and they will be my people. And again, later on it says that they all shall know me. Hmm. So yeah, this, everyone on everyone, their own. Like it's yeah. not you don't have to have the priest as the yeah. intermediary. Everyone's going to have a relationship. That's right. So it's it's not a surprise when Paul then says, "You used to have the law written on stones, but mm-hmm. now because of the Spirit, you've got it written on your hearts." Yeah, and he, and he he's pretty sly. Like he's kind of putting himself firmly in God's camp. Like he's saying, you know, the the letter of our recommendation is the work of the spirit that's written on your heart, which sounds awfully like what God was going to do in Jeremiah. (laughs) So he's pretty sneaky in that sense. So he's definitely kind of putting himself in the God doing stuff now today camp, not in the trying to go back to the old Mm, ways. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. And so then it picks up and that's that's kind of the first little bit, those first few verses. But then he starts to then take uh, 
what looks like a detour, but is really setting up this argument, which leads us ultimately to this idea of being unveiled, mm. where he starts to talk about the contrast between the old covenant, the mosaic covenant, the way that God set up for the people of Israel who kind of rejected him uh, to interact with him and then the way that Jesus had set up. So it's really, um, it's actually a heartbreaking story when you go back to Exodus and read through this because God invites the people to be in relationship with him and they kind of freak out and they go, no, 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 if we we do this, it's going to be, we're going to die. We can't do this. Look, Moses, you go and do it for us. And so it's almost a rejection of the invitation of God for the people there. And so we get this kind of way of relating with God at this point, the old covenant, which comes with this idea of the tabernacle and the way that you would approach God and his presence and sets up what becomes fulfilled in Christ, but is a very specific way of relating with God that is set up in the Old Testament. Mm. And Paul here equates that with this letter, with this this ministry that's carved in stone, the letter of the law almost, and he associates it with the ministry of death, which doesn't sound good. No, it's like not at all. It's like that law actually, you know, it brought death. It actually it says those letters killed. Yeah. But the spirit gives life. Which is kind of reminiscent of how kind of Paul talks in Romans as well about the old way and the new way, you know. Um, sin sees the opportunity afforded by the law and kind of brought up all this death thought in me, these sin opportunities. Mm. And, like, the law highlights death and brokenness and sin. And, yeah, you know, some commentators would say it highlights our need for God. Yeah. It shows us our brokenness. But it also is the goodness of God because he makes a way for intimacy. So in the old covenant, you had to kill the spotless lamb at the Passover. You had to bring sacrifices Sacrifices. into the temple. Something had to die. A Uh ministry of death had to happen so that life could happen. And so Paul's kind of bringing that idea up. And then he's really strongly contrasting this with what Jesus has done. Mm. So it does sound like Paul's bagging on the old Testament pretty heavily. Like Mm. he's saying, it's just, it's old and it's it's no good. Even the writer of Hebrews says, you know, the old is kind of passed away now. In fact, it's obsolete. It's gone. Yeah. And Paul kind of does play on that, but he does also acknowledge and it gets into this talk of glory. He said, if that ministry, that old thing, that that carved in stone law came with glory. Literally like the glory of the Shekinah glory yeah, of the, God. Yeah, the manifest presence of God. Then like, how much more will the new one have? Hmm. So he does acknowledge that it was from God and it was the way that God had set up the way that we connect with him and it brought with it something amazing which people hadn't seen before, but he's still contrasting that with what has come in Christ. Hmm. So I suppose the nuts and bolts of it is that there's this, uh, there's this problem with Moses' face. <laughs> he's it's a- not a problem. It's a good problem. But he brings up this issue and this is the kind of the illustration and starts to bring in this whole idea of this veil. So Paul really wants us to know that what God has done in the past with Moses is really, it was still significant and still something unusual and something special. So he's kind of alluding to this passage in Exodus 34, which I'll read to you. Sure. Okay. So uh, Exodus 34 verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. 
And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. When he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. You can just imagine like <laughs> Moses coming down from the mountain where he's been up there for 40 days, yeah. 40 nights, <laughs> like, uh, fasting, not eating. And he's coming down the mountain and there's, there's this like glowing golden circle oh. like just coming down the mountain. What is that? What's the, is that Moses? Like what is going on with his face? And then he addresses the whole assembly, like the whole nation. Yeah. It's pretty intense. It's intense. So like it actually like it you know, it says his skin his was shining. Skin. Like his actual physical appearance was Man, I, I, impacted by talking face to face with God. It says it happened because he was talking like with God. No level of exfoliation <laughs> could get that shiny skin. Like, well, like uh, in in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, when it talks about uh, when Jesus goes up the Mount of Transfiguration and he meets with Moses, Moses and, Elijah, and Elijah, and God talks to them. Um, it's the same white, and the white there is like the like a bleached white, like the the white of a, a laundry worker would use to wash your sheets or so your clothes good. to make them super duper white. That's so it's good. Dazzling white. It's like some, some laundry powder <laughs> ad. It's like it's whiter than white. It's shining like Moses' face white, you know, wow. <laughs> like it's that intense. And so um, there's this amazing thing that happens when Moses meets with God, when he, when he beholds God, when he talks to God face to face, he's literally physically, visibly transformed. And like the countenance yeah. of his face changes. Yeah. Is that where that prayer comes from, that the, the countenance the, the of... The priestly blessing. Yeah that God's countenance would shine upon us? Yeah, well, that actually raises a really interesting kind of concept because there's this uh, particular Jewish biblical scholar, a guy called Robert Alter, who's written uh, a bunch of books on uh, examining like Hebrew narrative styles and techniques and poetry styles and techniques and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and he has a pretty close reading of the text and starts to kind of say that anytime you see a similar idea or like language idiom or even illustration or word picture, any kind of similar things, he's saying God mm. or the author – or both, are trying to draw your attention to what's happened before and after. So when you get to this idea of a countenance shining and that kind of thing, it kind of yeah, throws up that priestly blessing from number six where it says, the Lord says to Aaron, this is how you should bless the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance mm-hmm. upon you and give you peace. Interesting. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Whoa. Yeah. Put their name. It's like their yeah, so name an interesting on their thing. Heart. So, um, just a complete nerd side topic here. Um, Preparing myself for the worst. I know. So, Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Just you lost plummeted. me. Right. You lost me. At so, so, Dr. Spock, Leonard Nimoy, was a Jewish guy. And so, when the priestly blessing would happen, it's kind of this whole idea of the Shema and everything. So, the, they would make the sign of the Shin, which is a Jewish letter, which was the first letter. Uh, of the prayer, and so they'd hold up this particular hand uh, symbol, right? And Leonard Dimway used that as Spock's kind of when when Spock kind of did his Spock no thing, way. he made the sign of the shin, which is actually a Jewish blessing. So That's every hilarious. time that he did his characters thing, it's actually this ancient Jewish blessing. You're such a nerd. I'm such a nerd. Such I'm so nerd. sorry, but I had to go there. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think this is kind of what Paul's starting to play on is this same imagery that comes through that when people interact with God, when God's face is involved, when the, the countenance of God or then Moses 
when there's this interaction and intimacy with God, there is a shining, there is a changing, there is Change. a radiance, yep. there is a glory. And that there's might a even weightiness and a heaviness yeah. and a and a manifest presence of God. Awesome. Okay, so there was a glory that was found in the old covenant. Yeah. There was a glory because it was seen in Moses' face. Mm. That's that's what he's talking about. He's kind about of implying there. that, yeah, yeah. That, that it came with some presence of God, with some impact. Uh, and he says in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 3, if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, then this new thing that God's done, which is so much better, this ministry of righteousness, it's got to have more glory. It's got to have exceedingly more. Yeah, if glory. that was a, a fading thing, because the people of Israel rejected it, right? The people mm. didn't like it. They were afraid of what was going on in Moses. So he puts a veil over it. If, if what was passing and failing because the people rejected it yeah. was full of glory, how much more will this new thing, which is permanent and eternal and fixed now, how much yeah. more is that going to have glory? So are we talking about like more mini Moseses running around with like shining faces and like people getting freaked out because the well, glory of the Lord is shining from their faces? So like maybe. 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 There is that kind of principle which we've touched on in the past, particularly when we looked at Ephesians and we looked at spiritual warfare, that, you know, in the Old Testament, what is physical and visible and kind of there has become a spiritual and internal thing yep. in the New Testament. So there is, uh, I think there's probably an argument saying that what Paul's trying to draw at here is something greater and maybe not something exactly the same and mm -hmm. visible, but yet when Jesus interacts yeah. with Moses and Elijah, everyone's freaked out because it's shiny and bright. It's, That's true. You know, there's still something to it. And I think um, getting off the biblical studies and into the personal experience here, I kind of feel like um, when God's doing something that he's done before but doing it better and bigger, to say that he's not going to do any part of the old thing, kind of, I don't know, I've experienced him doing some stuff. Yeah. Like, I didn't think you'd do it that way, but you did. But and did. wow. Yeah, wow. And so, you know... Um, to say that he won't do that, to say that the Shekinah glory isn't a thing anymore, I think for me says, well, God, you can't do that. Mm. And I kind of think he likes to jump out of the boxes we put him in. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's drawing us into something greater. Great. And it's drawing us into something deeper. And to say that it's not going to look like that mm. kind of says, God, you can't do it, which he doesn't mm. seem to obey the rules we put on him. Mm. <laughs> but I think... What he's trying to draw our attention to is that there's a deeper and greater and more powerful thing he's doing now. Yeah. And if that looks like shiny faces, great. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Very cool. All right, so I guess we haven't really even addressed this whole idea of unveiling and veiling yet. Um, it says that there was the glory of the Lord shining from Moses' face, and so he had to put a veil over his mm. face. <laughs> Yeah. In order to talk and interact with the rest of the Israelite community, he had to put a veil over his face. Mm. Um, but it says we're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. Yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul kind of switches it up. So you get to verse 12 and he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Now, the hope, he hasn't really explicitly said what that hope is. Yeah. But I think he's implying that this new ministry that we're a part of, this ministry of righteousness, this thing that Jesus has begun, because he says, you know, we have confidence through Christ that we can come to, to God. We are confidence toward God through Christ uh, because of what Jesus has done, not because of our own efforts, not because of our own sufficiency, because of the goodness of yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So we have this hope, right? We have this confidence. We have this boldness because we're part of the new thing. 
the non-fading away thing. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And so we're not like Moses who had to put the veil over his face because mm. the people were hardened towards God. It's like, let's not go back there. No, there's something different. But he does, well, he makes this comment saying that when and whenever Moses is read out, when, yeah. when the, the law is declared, it's like the veil has to come back because yeah. it's like it's this covering up thing. It's like hearts are hardened. The old way of doing things is kind of covering over the glory of God. Wow. Which I think Paul is really what he's getting at is like Jesus is the full glory of God. Yeah, wow. Which kind of for me starts to bring in Hebrews 1. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, all the prophets and law. Yeah. It's all. It's all good, but it's passed away. Well, he says, you know, like long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Oh my goodness. If that's not some like <laughs> link that he's trying to make, I know, right? Look, it's these hyperlinks, like sheep. backwards and forwards. That's like crazy. Connecting all these dots, right? Okay, so this is the this is like the revelation of Jesus. Yeah, this is what it is. This is the new covenant. This is it? The ministry of righteousness, the the radiance of God in Jesus Christ. So this is what God looks like, Jesus. Mm. Everything Jesus did, everything he was about, the way that he saved us, the way that he, you know took the old and made it new, the way that he brought about his kingdom. Like this is the radiance of God's glory. Yeah. And so then when Paul says, for to this day, in Paul's day, when they read the old covenant, the veil, the same veil remains unlifted. When you try and understand God through the old covenant, there's a barrier there because only through Christ is it, the veil, taken away. Mm. Yes, Verse 15, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Mm. So he's saying, like, you can't do this the old way. You can't do it the old way. It you can't doesn't do it. work. You can't try and get to God without Jesus. Yep. It's just not a thing anymore. It's just not how it works. Actually, there's a barrier in yep. between. And this whole, like, imagery of veils, um, it just kind of reminds me of another veil that, comes up in scripture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like right. there's a veil before the holy of holies. Yeah, so it's like in temple. The temple. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of brings us back. So again, Exodus connection, right? So while Moses is up the mountain becoming shiny, yeah. um, he's getting all these instructions. So when he gets back and we, that bit I just read in Exodus 34, the very next chapter, the very next verse after that. And pretty well the rest of Exodus. Yeah, it starts to unpack the tabernacle, this way of meeting with God, this new way for them of how to meet with God, their temple, their tabernacle, their place where God dwells, that they would connect with him. And so... And as a part of that, yeah. there was different sections and different parts of the of the tabernacle and then later the temple. Yeah, so there's like the temple courts, yeah. the tabernacle courts, the outer area, the holy place with the, the golden stuff, the lampstand and the table for bread and the golden altar. And then there was the holy of holies, the holiest place. And in between the holy place and the holy of holies was the curtain. A curtain, a, yeah. a veil. Yeah, so it's, it's variously kind of translated this particular word as curtain or veil. Okay. So the old, kind of the old King James way of saying it was veil. So is that the same word that is used in the Greek, like the, the veil here. over Moses? And no, so the, it's a different word. Okay. Um, so it's not like a direct kind sure. of connection that Paul's trying to draw with that. But I think there is this same 
kind of it's the same concept. It's the same concept because I think the core of what he's trying to draw our attention to there is that in the old place, the dwelling place of God, in the old covenant, the tabernacle was the dwelling place of God, the holy of holies, the ark of the covenant. That's where the Shekinah glory of God rested, the pillar of fire, right? The pillar of smoke mm. that was in the center of the camp of Israel. Yeah. And no one could go in there except for the high priest because you couldn't go to God's presence or you'd drop dead. The high priest had to go through all this ritual cleansing and cleansing and, and make yeah, sure that he was right standing. He had to yeah. be righteous and holy, set apart, and so then he could go into God's presence. This is all the same imagery, like the shining fire, right, of God. Yeah. And so it's kind of playing on this thing that when Jesus died, what happens? A curtain. The curtain was torn in two. Tears, yeah. And so the, the from top to bottom. Yeah, which is another whole thing. The imagery of heaven to earth. The, it's like was the there, highest, the lower. It's like some priest up a ladder, just like <laughs> cutting it down. Yeah, like, no. <laughs> did like that pirate on the sail thing? Yeah. Put his, no, no. <laughs> no. Like that's not a not. thing. That they they didn't want the curtain torn. No. It wasn't, a, it wasn't something that they wanted to happen. But he tore the veil and that is just such an awesome picture of how we now have intimacy with God. Like that, yeah. that Jeremiah passage where we can know God mm. because the curtain or the veil that was there that was separating us from his presence has now been broken. Yeah, and that's what Paul says in verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Yeah. So Jesus removed the barrier in yeah. his death and resurrection, and then the, the the blockage to the presence of God is gone now. Mm-hmm. So the book of Hebrews starts to play on this like heaps, and I suppose a little kind of forward promotion Ooh, here. Ooh, promotion. Um, our next big series for Bible Streams is going to be around the book of Hebrews. Keen. Uh, in kind of conjunction with a preaching series we're going to do at River Life uh, in the kind of the first part of the year up Very until Easter. Keen. So we're going to kind of dig deep into the book of Hebrews, which is like the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's crazy. It unpacks all of this. But the book of Hebrews plays off this idea, right? So um, Paul is writing about here about the veil and the removing of the veil. The book of Hebrews then starts to play on this idea. So in Matthew 27, the temple curtain is torn. right at the point of Jesus' death. And that word is the word that Hebrews picks up and uses quite a few times. So um, uses it in chapter 6. So this is is throwing forward to a whole pile of ideas in the book of Hebrews that it unpacks. So in Hebrews 6, it uses the word from Matthew for the curtain, 619. Yeah, I've got it here, Mm. funnily enough. Yeah. (laughs) And it says, uh, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Mm. Hope, Hope that enters the inner place behind yeah. the curtain. Like huh. The place where God dwells. Then in chapter 9, verse 3, it brings up the same idea. Same idea. It says that behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. That's the dwelling place of God. Mm-hmm. And so Hebrews is building this argument that Jesus is the true and better and the reality of God's presence. And then the last one that kind of specifically uses this word, not just the word picture, is in chapter 10, verse 20. Yeah, it says that since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way that was opened up for us through the curtain, which is his body. Yeah. So this oh idea goodness. of um, the way to God, the barrier, the curtain. Or, it's been opened up. Yeah, and so Paul's playing off this picture, I yep. think, here, 
when he's talking about this veil. So it's kind of doing double duty, right? So the veil that Moses wore is the blockage between the presence, the radiance of God and the people, and the of, people God. of God. Yeah. And Jesus is the way that the veil is removed. Yeah. Jesus is the moment where the temple curtain is torn, where the way into the holy place, the dwelling place of God is made real, made available, made possible. Paul says, when we turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. Mm. But then he turns it up. So we're thinking Jesus language, right? We're thinking Jesus, yeah. crucifixion, resurrection, may, yeah. way made into the holy place, the presence of God, intimacy with yeah. God, Jesus. Is it? He's the, the lamb yeah. that's slain that, yeah, that yep. creates a sacrifice, that opens up, you know, the holiness, yeah, an unblemished lamb, a sacrifice, you know, all that temple language. That's yep. all like Jesus dying on the cross, yep. being raised again. Classic Paul Classic. flips it. Hold on a second. Verse 17. <laughs> now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Like, oh, hang, hang on. Wait, we wait, thought wait. this was Jesus' work. Hold on. Surely it's where Jesus is, there's freedom. Yeah, right. So um, we got to be careful. We're not falling into some weird heretical modalism. So Jesus was human and there became spirit. So like ice and water. Yeah. It's like the same substance, but then it, like at a certain certain time in history and or at a certain moment yeah. it would just change Shift. to a solid state. Yeah. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't So Jesus he wasn't in heaven. into the spirit. Yeah, he wasn't know. in heaven and then you know, next moment he then transported down to earth and became a solid person and yeah. then evaporated like a gas into the spirit. Into the spirit. Yeah. That's not how it works. No. So it's it's a Trinitarian idea here. Yeah. So we're saying that not only is Jesus the way in, but the Lord is also the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also the Lord. And so where that spirit is, there is freedom. And so this idea that Jesus has made a new covenant, and this is Paul to the T, saying that new covenant is a covenant in the spirit. And he says it before in verse 6, the letter kills, the spirit gives life. So Mm. we knew it was coming. So Paul's drawing the connection between Jesus and intimacy with God and the veil being removed and the glory of God and the Holy Spirit. Wow. My goodness. And this is where this whole chapter is kind of climaxing towards. Yeah. This is kind of the, the, the main point. The that he's, this is what he's trying to say. And it's in verse 18. Oh, it's such a beautiful verse. My goodness. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Yeah, come on. Whoa. So like, so the core of that, so classic Paul, a little bit of complicated sentence here. And we all are being transformed. That's what he's trying to say. We're all being we transformed. We're all being transformed now. So Moses shone because he'd been looking at God. Yep. We are changing. We're being metamorphosized. We are metamorphosizing. We are changing like a... Caterpillar becomes a butterfly, uh-huh. same word we use now. Yeah. We are all being transformed into this same shininess, this to that glory. The glory of God, the right. likeness of God. We're being made like Jesus. Yeah. Because he is the exact representation, the imprint of God, the radiance of his glory. Wow. Right? We are being transformed into this yeah. same image from one degree of glory to another, not decreasing and fading glory, but increasing and growing glory. Because we've got unveiled faces. Yes. Because a veil has been lifted and so we can see, we can see him. We, we can beholding. We can look at him. The glory of God. So we can now do what Moses only could do. 
And instead of it failing and being rejected by the people of Israel, it's only going to increase. Wow. Because we are constantly allowed to be in that place. From glory to glory, from ever-increasing glory. Yeah. And so when we say unveiled as a single word, it's a placeholder for all of that. Wow. This year, if you're part of our River Life community, when we're playing off this idea of unveiled, kind of like when Paul says Moses, and he means the whole five books of the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, when we say unveiled, what we're saying is this whole chapter, this whole idea that because of what Jesus has done and because he sent the Spirit and we are now a people of the Spirit, the church, because of that, we have the invitation to behold God. There is no veil. There is no blockage. God has taken away all of the blockage. And so we can behold him and we know that what we behold, we become. Yeah. We know that because we are beholding him in the fullness of his glory, he's going to transform us. From ever-increasing glory to ever-increasing glory. Yeah, so from glory to glory. But it's to the glory of the person who is glory. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, so we become the image of God, which we see in Jesus because of the work of the Spirit. This is because of the Lord. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So this is why for us at River Life, we're committed to being a people of his presence because it's the work of the Holy Spirit, the covenant marker of God, you know, to, to borrow kind of some of N.T. Wright's kind of terminology, the Holy Spirit is the marker of the new covenant. He is mm. the, what was circumcision before is now the presence of the Spirit. The marker of the covenant is Holy Spirit. Mm. And so with the Holy Spirit working in us, we are able to behold the glory of God, which transforms us into the likeness of the Son the firstborn of all creation, the likeness of his being. This is what we're all being kind of drawn into. We are transforming, metamorphosizing into. I love that it's, it's, it's a spirit who does that. And it's the, I guess that's one of his jobs. It's one of his works to help us transform into the image of Christ. Yeah. Um, Which is like holiness and righteousness yeah. and sanctification, and, yeah. but also intimacy and authority and anointing and power and love and peace and joy, all that Hebrew stuff that we were just talking about. Like it's all of this stuff. It's it's the the life of God being birthed in us. It's the nature of God growing in us. It's the fruit of his presence becoming true in our lives. So have you have you seen God? Have you unveiled? You know, is the veil been taken away over your heart, over your eyes? Can you see Him? Have you seen Him? What do you do with that? Well, I mean, this is kind of what we're talking about when we talk about presence, right? That, like in Hebrews chapter four, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. Yeah. Like we're allowed to come into God's presence. Not only allowed, we're encouraged, mm. and in fact, really if we're going to be about what God has called us to be about, if we're actually going to become a covenant community, a people of God, a royal priesthood, it, it's only through being in his presence, allowing the Holy Spirit to be kind of, you know, able to work in our lives. It's only through that intimacy with God that this is going to happen. We talked earlier about kind of Robert Alter, that guy who brings up these kind of 
this idea that we can start to look for patterns and images and, and kind of motifs and illustrations that kind of move backwards and forwards through scripture. When we kind of jump in at any point, we can kind of know that that Jewish or Hebraic insight is that when there's illustrations and allusions, it's drawing on all of that richness, that yeah. depth and that, that beauty. Um, when we're seeing the word face, well, we're thinking, right, Adam seeing God's face when he's yeah. created. We're talking about Moses being face-to-face with God and Joshua in the tender meeting face-to-face with God and all of those times when, like, we, as soon as the word face is used, it should bring to mind all of these times. And then ultimately, you know, we don't need lights anymore in the book of Revelation at the end because the glory of God is visible to mm-hmm. all. It shines through and we don't need any illumination because God is there. Yeah. You know, face is going to bring all that to mind. Yeah, glory is going to bring this whole picture of God's presence and God's authority and God's weightiness and his manifest goodness is going to bring all that to mind. So, you know, when we start to use phrases and words, I think there's a real value and power in kind of letting language capture our heart a little bit because it's kind of, it's poetry. We with unveiled face are beholding and beholding is transforming and transforming is all because of the spirit. It's a richness. And I kind of, for me, I, I just get caught up in the, the kind of the poetry and the elegance and the beauty of it, that doesn't make it not real. It makes it even more powerful because it's speaking to my head and to my heart at the same time. It's capturing kind of my spirit and my soul and it's kind of grabbing all of me. So when I hear the word unveiled now, it's like, oh, I can't even put into words the richness of it because there's so much happening just in that one idea Mm. and that one moment. It's kind of picking up the whole of the Bible in all different ways and Mm. reminding me of the reality of God and his faithfulness to the whole plan and that it's going somewhere and it's come from somewhere and there's highs and lows and mountains and yeah, all of that. Like it just, Mm. like I think that's the beauty of language and the beauty of scripture and the beauty of poetry is that it be it, it captures stuff that we can't put into mm. simple words. And then finally for me, I think unveiled, like it brings this sense of spiritual openness to 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 my relationship with God. But mm. it, it also kind of paints this picture of um the of even me seeing people who are not in relationship with God with a veil over their face. Mm. And for me I think that just encourages me that that's where I need to pray. Yeah. I just need to get on my knees and pray and pray and pray that the veil that is over their eyes, the mud that's stuck on their eyes, that that would be washed and, mm. and taken away and that they would see God face to face. Yeah. It's like they just they know there's an invitation, like access is already granted. Mm. Like come on in, the way's made. Oh, well, I mean, there's like there's a lot there. I think we could dwell on this for a long time. And I know that um, if you're hearing this when it's released, you know, we're right in between our two vision messages and John's going to unpack this this coming Sunday a whole lot more. Uh, if you're listening to this after release day, then you're going to have the, the kind of the privilege of having both of those vision messages and this one to kind of expand what we're talking about. Uh, and our hope is that really as you hear this and as you jump on board with whatever God's doing where you are, but particularly in our River Life community, that we become a people of his presence. We become people who are unveiled. We are not blocked from our access to God and we just become a people marked by his presence. Thanks so much for listening and tuning in to this episode of River Life's Bible Streams. We'll be back very shortly with another episode. So keep your eyes out for the unveiling of that. Yeah, come on. 
Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.